Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman Woo. here with you on a Friday morning. It is, this is it. This is the last weekend before Christmas. It's time, it's time. If you haven't got the tree up yet, what, what are you doing with your life? How, how, how early are you on the tree? Oh, it's been up for a while at my house. Before Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was. Oh, I should fight you. Come on. Yeah, it was. Um, Why doesn't Thanksgiving get its due? Well, here's, first off, I like the tree being up at Thanksgiving. I think you can still celebrate Thanksgiving even though the Christmas tree is up. I don't, mm. I don't understand why there's a rule against that. Uh, but with our schedules being what they are, you know, my, my wife doesn't work on Saturday mm. ever. Mm-hmm. Um we frequently do work on Saturday. Yeah. And too. there was a November Saturday that I was at home. And so I remember, we I know kind it, of. I know it was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was before Thanksgiving and yeah. it was just a good day. to. It put, was the, the week before the Alabama game. So it was just. Yeah. So it was just. Yeah. Uh, a so good that was day early. Put, that was like November 9th. Oh, it, it's been up for okay. a month and a little over a month. Yeah. Okay. So uh, anyway, we, we went ahead and got to decorate. Plus, I mean, there's something with me. I, I'm never going to argue about having the tree up because there's something peaceful about sitting in the living room at nighttime, nothing on but the Christmas lights. I don't know. It's just relaxing. Yeah, okay. I, I guess I can live with that. I, I don't I don't agree with it, but I can live with it. Well, wherever well, you guys are... If you don't like it, learn to love it. Uh, well. uh, we want to thank you guys for tuning in at supertalk.fm or wherever you're getting your podcasts from. We appreciate you uh, listening into us, especially the great servicemen and women out there taking care of us. Thank our sponsors, Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. Joel, I'm going to assume you've had some Strange Brew today. You were needing it yesterday. No, I, I had a humongous 24-ounce bottle of Diet Mountain Dew this morning, though. I bet you that just was great. took that thing down. Guzzled it like gasoline just in a tank. <laughs> but uh, but I'll tell you what. Like, uh, like an H3 on the open highway, <laughs> just, just burning through it. But uh, that fuel has quickly evaporated, and so as I leave the studio, headed to Strange Brew. So. There you go. Uh, also want to thank our uh, our friends over at College Corner. If you haven't uh, bought the Bulldog fan in your life something just yet, you need to go over to College Corner, either one of their two locations in the Jackson area. In Ridgeland, they're by Fleet Feet. And, of course, in uh, Flowood, they're over there by the Half Shell. Or you can just shop online at collegecornerstore.com and get what's you, what you need this holiday season for that Bulldog fan or the Rebel or the Golden Eagle. You know what? This is the holiday season. We can forgive past transgressions. This is a time of giving. You know, Ole Miss gave Mississippi State the gift of urination simulation. By the way, I want to I want to point something out real quick about urination simulation. What do we hear when that happened? Oh, that's not us. That's not what we are. That's not acceptable. I look on Twitter today, and there are people doing like requests. There, are people are having paintings made of that moment, and I saw socks. Ole Miss red red socks with a little football player doing urination simulation on them, but that's not them. This isn't the podcast topic for the day, but it is a question mm. that we can discuss for a moment. Yeah, sure. If Ole Miss fans could rewrite history, yeah, and not have Elijah Moore hike his leg like a dog and pretend to pee, mm-hmm. would they, or would they just accept what has happened and let it be? I think they enough of them wanted Matt Luke out that the, the they way would it, just accept what happened. Yeah. Sort of the same way with the 08 Egg Bowl that, you know, if State had won somehow, you don't get Mullen. You know, I think State fans would say, like, yeah, we'll just take our whipping in that one. I think sometimes, you know, now that said, and Mullen wasn't a sure thing when he came to State. And Kiffin's not a sure thing now. 
but I think they feel more confident about the direction of their program. I think if they're being completely honest, they'd rather that that, that, that it feels like for it feels to them anyway that it has a lose the battle to win the war kind yeah. of feel. Yeah. So there's two issues with that. One, you don't know for sure with Kiffin, and two, there is no there is no ending the war. It will it will rage on forever. You know, you you watch Game of Thrones, right? Mm-hmm. Remember when the Blackfish was like, "As long as I'm alive, the war is not over." Yeah. Well, that's for everybody. <laughs> Every time a new Bulldog fan or Rebel fan is born, that the war continues, however long that person is alive. All right. <laughs> You know, right now there's some there's some Ole Miss fan, there's some state fan who's the oldest state fan and the oldest Ole Miss fan in the world, and there's a new one born every second, yeah. and they just keep it, and the wheel just keeps on spinning. Yeah, so. you know, I think when you're born and bred in this state, and and you, you love this state as a whole, and and always been in the state, kind of like you and I have, you can't help but pay attention to both programs a good bit, state and Ole Miss and things, and of course we all have our have Ole Miss friends, state friends, and and everything. I kind of get the, the, the picture, and I don't know if this applies to every Ole Miss fan, support, or whatever, that in to some people, Lane Kiffin isn't what they expected. In that, I think a lot of people thought that he was this, in public, like, bombacious, over-the-top dude. No, he's very and he's chill. he's very, 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 like, subtle. Like, he's I think, very chill. I think people in their mind had... You know, you know the the picture of Lane with the sunglasses tilted down, like kind yeah. of the Joey Freshwater, the yeah. the uh, you know what he is on Twitter, and that's not what he is. And I think that's kind of caught some some folks off guard. And I'm not saying that's good, bad, indifferent. Um, I, I I just think some people have been surprised um, based on some of the folks I've talked to that that support Ole Miss and things that that he's not this over the top, uh, you know, very extroverted guy. That's just yeah. not who he is. He, right. He's a different guy on the Twitter than he is in real life. Right, right. Uh, I don't think they have any buyer's remorse or anything. Yeah, I'm not. Really. I'm, yeah, and, and I still think it's a good splashy hire for them, and we'll see how it works out. We'll it see may how it works out. May, yeah. may be fine, and it may you know blow up in their face. Who knows? You never know with hires. But this is the truth, and this is the what you have to know about Mississippi State and Ole Miss. This is the same. Is there? It's really d- tough to say that any hire is going to be a sure thing. You know, in my lifetime. I've, Jackie Sherrill was probably the closest thing to you knew that was going to work because you knew he was a good coach, and and you know he had, but at the same you know he, he was only available because of the of the way he left Texas A and M. State could not have hired Jackie Sherrill from Texas A and M, but you felt like that was a sure thing for Ole Miss. I felt like Houston Nutt was a sure thing to be totally honest. And his first two years, you're like okay. As a state person, I was like, we're in trouble. How much of that success is credited to Eddie? O? A lot of it. When you look back, he left him a good. T- he left him two good teams, and as soon as those guys were gone, you see what happened. Yep. It completely, it completely fell apart. Um, so, in my lifetime of, of guys, I would say that guy is going to win there. I'm, I'm one for two. You know, I thought Tuberville would be successful. You know, and he was, but I mean, I didn't know that it was a sure. I didn't say that it was a sure thing. He just had a, he had a good resume. Same with Cutcliffe for them. Mullen, you know, I knew that. With Mullen, I knew that he had the right, he had the right resume. Yeah, you know, he had won everywhere, and he coached a modern college offense that State could recruit to. With Croom, early in the process with him, and I'm talking about even before the main game, yeah, you know, I thought that State could win games with Croom. But when you start talking about it, you know, it's, this is going, the offense is so difficult to pick up, and I'm just like, you only have so many hours in the week. This isn't, this isn't Brett Favre coming to work at. Six in the morning and leaving at ten at night and watching film all day. You know, you only got so many hours. 
I had some I had some doubts, especially with Omar Khan. I was like, this is this is what we're gonna do, but you know. It sort of is with it. Orgeron, I, I had no, I did not think he'd be successful. So I mean, if you want to, I don't think I don't think I'm alone in that assessment. Yeah. I think most people thought that this isn't going to work. Um, and then you know, Freeze, I didn't think Freeze was going to work. I thought Freeze was an was a idiot. So I mean, he may be an idiot, but I thought he was like a football idiot. I think he's an, actually a pretty decent coach and play caller. The the humanity problem is the problem for him. So a little off topic there, but yeah, yeah. But and then Kiffin, you know. Good coach, good resume. He'll 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 be okay, but the, there is no coach that's just going to. We're not going to snap our fingers and all of a sudden John Vaught is going to be reborn at Ole Miss yeah. or Alan McKean at Mississippi State. Those days are gone. You know, it's just about doing the best you can. You know, I feel like it's like uh, <laughs> you know, on Family Guy where Cleveland's playing the game. I think it's I think it's called Black Life. He's like, you never win. You just do a little better each time. Yeah. That's what Mississippi State and Ole Miss football. You never you just do a little better each season. Yeah, you know? I kind of feel like shifting the focus closer to Starfield here after after watching signing day um, as closely as we got to on Wednesday. I kind of feel like that with Joe Moorhead, State is always. I just have a hard time believing that talent wise, anyway, that under Joe Moorhead, State's ever gonna bottom out. Like I know that was kind of a popular thing to say back during the season. Yeah, that, like state could go back to the crew air. I, I mean, we probably said on this podcast right. multiple times. But after seeing that, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that Joe Moorhead's ever going to recruit like consistent top ten classes at Mississippi State. But the connections that I see him building with these players and their families, and the way that he recruits, and uh, you know, you all can can go listen to our interview with Joe Moorhead, which should be. Uh, Posted right. on the podcast feed. One down. Yeah, one down. Uh, please go listen to that. It's good stuff from, from Joe Moorhead. But uh, he was just talking about how for the last two years, basically, he's been in contact with these guys every day. Is that common for a head coach to be in contact with players basically every day for two years? I mean, maybe it is. I, I mean, I don't want to discredit any other coaches. But, well, but there is a and, – and we talked about this in the interview, but to me, there is just this genuineness and I, I think a very uh, – I hate to use a Dan Mullen word here, but a relentless recruiting effort by Joe, to, so much so that I don't know that he's ever going to completely just quit getting talent to Starkville. You know, so I think from a talent perspective, State's always going to have the ability to at least hover in the middle of the pack. And if Joe can ever figure out this offense thing and get that clicking, I think State really has an opportunity to take a, a step up right. in the pecking order. Is that fair? It, it, it's all on Joe Moorhead's ability. To win, you know, to yeah, to figure what he's doing out offensively. Because I think the narrative of Joe's from the north and he's not, that's, he doesn't fit that, in, that and he's not going to recruit. I it's think just that's just narrative at this point. It's not yeah. real. Yeah, he is. He is a fine recruiter. Yeah, and, a and, very good recruiter. And and if he can win more games, he can get more players. Honestly, if you look at his first year, let's look at let's let's play the the what if game a little bit here. If in year one, Nick Fitzgerald had figured everything out and had State had been able to pass the ball effectively. There's probably a good chance that at least one of the two freshman receivers Ole Miss got would have come to Mississippi State, either Mingo or Jackson. Probably Mingo, yeah, because Jackson was committed to Ole Miss pretty early in the process. But and, and maybe a couple of other guys along the way. You know, it, unfortunately for Joe, you know, this is a. It's been so long since MSU was good at passing the ball that you know receivers just, they they want to see it happen. And, and I think I mentioned this yesterday in the war room. I said it's sort of a of a vicious circle. You know, state can't get receivers because they can't produce because they can't get receivers. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they just they can't do it. 
And so it's going what's going what state needs to have happen, and this is what should have happened, was for Starville High School to maybe have an elite receiver and come to Mississippi State and sort of change that narrative. And you had one and it didn't happen. You know, if AJ AJ Brown is a is a huge butterfly effect guy. If he comes to Starkville, how different are 2017 and 2018 for Mississippi State? Yeah. They're hugely different because you've got a guy that you can just throw the ball up to when he's going to make the play. Yeah. And I mean, you think back to you know 17 and 18. Well, think back to you know think back to 2018, Joe's first year, and picture that pass that Osiris Mitchell dropped going to AJ Brown. That's a touchdown. And how different is everything? You know, that, you know that, that, it's 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 a butterfly effect kind of thing. So. Is AJ the biggest miss in state history? <sighs> well, I mean, in terms of you know, you got to say yes. Because, because of where he's from, because, and from because of the talent right. that he had, right? I mean, you know, missing a guy like Scott Lashley, I mean, just down the road, that's fine. Um, you know, and there have been some guys, some some legacy guys that State missed out on. Yeah, you know, um, you know, a guy like and or not even you know, I wouldn't say that Ryan Perilou is a huge. Ryan Perilou was a bust, right? Yeah, but he was also a highly rated quarterback coming out of high school, and I know. For a fact that Mississippi State thought he was coming to Mississippi State, and he didn't, you know. And I don't know how different his college career might have been. You know, it might not have been any different at all. He might have just been the same yeah. bad person, and or, and you know, made bad decisions and gone out and, and done the same thing at Mississippi State. But yes, AJ Brown is the biggest miss in Mississippi State, and I'm not one of those people that I'm not going to sit here and put everything on Mullen for that. Yeah, I don't think AJ Brown wanted to go to. Yeah, Mississippi I think State. he wanted to. Bla- I'm with you. I think AJ wanted to blaze his own trail. You know, yeah. I, if he hadn't went to Ole Miss, I think he would have probably went to Bama. I, th- I, mean, I thought I, I thought the whole time he was going to go to Alabama. Yeah, uh, and you know he ended up going to Ole Miss. But yes, for to have a he's in the he's a, he's he's having a good rookie season in the NFL. He was a All American player, and he was a mile and a half from your campus. Yeah, that's that's a huge miss. Yeah. You know, I mean, Starville. You know, there have been a lot of guys. For, Antoine Edwards had a long career in the NFL, and he didn't go. But he he went to Clemson. He didn't even stay in the state. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anybody else. The, the only the only way that this could be a, a bigger miss for somebody outside of this area, Cam Newton. Cam Newton's a good one, but again, you know, it, it's a little different. But what I was, was going to say is the only way that you could outdo AJ Brown, yeah, is if Dak Prescott has a kid who comes up to be an elite player and doesn't come to Mississippi State. You know, and I mean, we saw yesterday that Emmett Smith's son. Uh, went to Stanford, and yeah. I, I really liked what Emmett had to say. I don't know if you saw that, but he said he's like, "Hey, my son's journey is his, is his journey. My journey is my journey. You know, they don't have to be the same." And that's that's great fathering, right there. But great parenting, I guess I should say. But yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. By the way, speaking of of kids playing, and and did you see that Frank Gore Jr. signed with USM? No, I did not see that. Frank Gore Jr. signed with USM. Frank Gore is still in the league. <laughs> yeah. He's still playing football. That is insane. So we're only like four years away from the Gore Senior, Gore Junior back. It could happen. Frank Gore is (laughs) is an unbelievable freak of nature. And I'm somebody. I think Rob Hadaway tweeted. He said, "I'm old enough to I'm 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 old enough to remember when Ole Miss thought they were getting Frank Gore, Uh, and of course they did not. Uh, But he's at USM. His dad's still in the league. Hilarious. How old is Gore Senior? Frank Gore Sr. 
Just off the top, I'm trying to think of it. 36? That sounds, it's, you're going to be close. He's 36, May 4th, May 14th, 1983. He's been playing in the NFL since 2005. As a running back, that is the ultimate anomaly. We talked about Kylan Hill. Yeah. And like, you only have so many carries. Frank Gore has a surplus of carries. He's got more carries than anybody. In, in, in all seriousness, not any joking whatsoever, he should, probably should have. A real, the average running back would have retired five years ago. Yeah. You know, he's got the third, he has the third most rushing yards in NFL history. So he's behind Emmett and Barry Sanders. Is that right? Either Emmett and Barry Sanders or Emmett, Emmett and. and Walter Payton. Walter Payton. Yeah. Let me see if I can. I think it's. I think. I think it's Payton. Payton. Yeah. It is Payton. Yeah. Yeah. Barry Sanders San- like single. Sanders season. is well. He just passed Barry Sanders. He probably passed him last week. He's only got uh, about sixty more yards than him. Yeah. So. That's unbelievable. That's an man. insane thing. <laughs> Boy, I hadn't looked at the the top ten rushers in a long time. It's changed a lot since I was a kid, obviously. But I didn't think. Wait, Adrian Peterson's fifth. Oh, I didn't realize he was top five. Yeah. Wow. The top ten rushers in the league. Emmett, Walter Payton, Frank Gore, Barry Sanders, Adrian Peterson. I'll give you a hundred dollars if you can tell me who number six is. Somebody recent, like somebody's played recently. Uh, he hasn't. He he, he retired a, about fifteen years ago. Ah, uh, see. But he's a name you would know. You especially would know him. I'll give you a little hint. Hey, Dolphin? No. Hmm. Why would I especially know? Now you've really you, when, you, when you've I tell mind, you, you've mind tricked me here. Okay, because he played a lot against the Dolphins. It's Curtis oh. Martin. Okay, yep. Curtis Martin is yeah. sixth. Had no clue. Seventh is Ladanian Tomlinson. Eighth is the Bus Jerome Bettis. Ninth is Eric Dickerson. And then the only guy left from my childhood days in terms of like was on this list is Tony Dorsett. Is tenth. Jim Brown, who was when I started keeping up with football, he was second behind Walter. Is now eleventh. These some of these names are incredible. Edron James is thirteenth. Ooh, I mean, he's ahead of Marcus Allen and Franco Harris. Who's number twenty? I, I please be somebody good. Corey Dillon is the twentieth leading rusher in the NFL history. He's on my fantasy team one year. Like my, my one, one of my few good fantasy teams. We got way off topic here, but it's fun. <laughs> uh, we were going to talk about Mississippi State in this bowl game and, and some players. You know, we we've talked about why the game is important to the team and a Joe Moorhead. And we've talked about how you know there are some players who could use this game to sort of launch themselves into 2020. But if we talked about guys who are like this game, why this game is important to them. You know, like Garrett Schrader is the first guy. And we, we and that sort of goes back to that topic we had earlier of, of, you know, he could use it as sort of the same way Dak used the 2013 Liberty Bowl. But beyond that, he has to be looking at this this game in terms of, you know, never mind how am I trying to put this? He he's had a good freshman season, and you've seen some moments that make you think that guy could be really good. Does this would a good game not only you know launch him but launch the perception of him maybe nationally as this is one of the top young quarterbacks in the game? I think so, because when you look at his production, he's had some good he's had some good showings. You know, Kentucky stands out. Uh, but he hasn't had really a monster showing in any game, has he? There, there hasn't been like one game where you were just no. like, "Wow!" And, and honestly, the the play that stands out for everybody is a play where he didn't the get the first down. Yeah, he didn't get the first down, and it, State it, lost the game. It was more of a, 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 I guess, credit to his toughness, tenacity. You know, reckless—not reckless is the wrong word, but 
just his crazy his, brave. Yeah, you know? uh, it was more testament to that than than actual skill. Um, and don't get me wrong; you, you want to have a guy that isn't afraid to lower the shoulder or die for the first down. And th- I mean, that's a that's kind of a good thing. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to negate that, but I think you would like to start to see some. How great would it be for State to go into this offseason if he th- rushes for 100 and throws for 250 or something like that? I, I know that's yeah. a humongous day. I, I don't, don't misunderstand me, but right. I mean, how, how much more so are you confident in Garrett Schrader if he, if he rips off that kind of performance? If he's throwing the ball to Mitchell and uh, who, who else is going to be? Peyton, you know, can, can make a couple plays. Yeah. It, it almost has to be sort of in concert, right? And like, if Schrader has a big day, it means the receivers have a big day. But I want to see some receivers who are going to be back. Stephen Guidry finally figuring it out and going seven catches for 125 yards. It does, does nothing. It does nothing for me. Yeah. Like, well, great job. A little late. <laughs> but, yeah, I would like to see him do that. For Kylan Hill, it's sort of the opposite. This is the sending off party. Yeah. This is the last impression. You know, this is, you know, how you're going to leave the room. Is it important for him? You know, he breaks the record with fifty with fifty yards. I mean, it's more. It's less than fifty, but we'll just say fifty. But I mean, if he goes out with like eighteen carries for fifty eight yards, he breaks the record. But I mean, yeah, you know, nobody nobody is super excited. You've got. I've been thinking all week. By the way, ever since we talked to him, I've convinced myself of something. He's going to break it on his first carry. Just have a long. He's going like to bust seventy five. He's going to bust a sixty yard run on his first. I've convinced myself that's going to happen. If it does happen, well, then I consider me the blind squirrel. But I am I am convinced that he's his first carry is going to go for the record. Well, I'm I'm convinced that on first down and whatever, when State gets the ball, he's going to get it. He's getting the ball because it does seem like every game this year, not just the first play of the game, but it seems like first down every play is a Kylan Hill carry it that, yeah i'd love to look at the, the the numbers on that to see how how many times this year what's the percentage that on first down it was a kylan hill carry uh not saying that that's always a bad thing i mean it's high some needs to be you know he, he needs to have a lot of carries but uh at times i felt state was awful predictable on first down this this year yeah uh so anyway does a big Kyle, a big Callen Hill day though? While everybody wants to see it, it's kind of the same thing as Gidry though, right? I mean, it's like it's different. It's different because with Gidry, everybody would just be pissed. <laughs> just be like, "Are you kidding me? This is the are you serious? And what are we, why was this all year with Kylan Hill? It would be like that's our guy. Yeah, one true. last one last great ride into the into the sunset. You know, I, I, people people would be happy for Kylan Hill to have a big game. What people need- will be angry if, if Stephen Gidry has a big game. The perfect scenario is for Kylan to rush for like 150 in the first half, and then he just never sees the field again the rest of the day, and Lee Witherspoon, or yeah, it'd have to be Witherspoon because Kareem Walker can't play. Right. Like Witherspoon gets out there and rushes for 75 in the second half or something. You definitely would like to see Lee Witherspoon. But of course, Gibson's going to get carries too. Yeah. But you would like to see Witherspoon get a few carries and, and show you something in this game, break off a long run. Yeah, that's the thing we didn't see from Lee Witherspoon this year. Was that explosiveness that he showed off so much in, in high school? Yeah, we haven't seen the uh, was it Nick Chubb that everybody was yeah, calling him back yeah. preseason. Yeah, which so. no, no offense to uh, to Lee Witherspoon, he did not put that on himself. Right, other people did. <laughs> Defensively, who needs to have you know just for just for, who's this game important to defensively? I have my answer. Uh, but I want to hear yours. I think you hit it on it on the the other day a little bit. The, the corners. Yeah, that's where I was going. Yeah. Um, well, there's. Jaron Jones or, or Emerson or, or Tyler Williams or somebody like that, 
you would just feel really good if that group can create a couple turnovers, you know, get a pick or two, spread it out a little bit. One guy get a pick, another guy get a pick. Um, you know, I think you feel pretty good at safety or whatever. You got Marcus Murphy and thing. I, I don't know that he necessarily has to do anything big. Um, I think you feel – we'll see on the decisions from Willie Gay and Errol Thompson, but if both those guys are back, I mean, you feel good about linebacker next year. Mm-hmm. I think you feel good about the defensive line even with, with Pickering and his growth and development and, you know, Kobe Jones will be back and – uh, you know, Fabian Lovett. And, I mean, you can just roll off the names of guys that you're starting to trust a little bit up front. Yeah. I think it, it's the corners that could probably use a, a big play or two just to kind of – you used Mark McLaurin the other day as a yeah. guy that kind of used a bowl game as a getting on the radar of everybody mm-hmm. kind of thing. I, I think one of the corners, whether it's Emerson or Jones or Williams or somebody, could do something similar. I don't disagree with you there. And then one of State's – defensive lineman, one of those young guys. You know, Crumity, I think he had a sack in the Egg Bowl. He, he really got better as the year, and so I think Lovett did too. But I wouldn't mind seeing them sort of have a big day, you know. This, that's what, this, you know, when we when we get through this bowl game, it starts turning into way too early projections and things like that and way too early depth charts. And, you know, it's going to look good for State next year to have two sophomore defensive tackles who've played in every game as redshirt freshmen. You know, that's something that's, that's a rare thing. You don't normally have that. And normally when you do have it, it's because the kid was just an elite recruit. Neither one of these guys were elite recruits. They were good recruits. They were they were guys State had to battle to get. But that's that's a great thing for the future. And it's, it's I think it's important for them in this final game for us to be able to look at them and go, okay, from day one to here, that they really got better. Yeah, State's going to go into next year with some sophomores up front that have more experience than like the, the seniors that were there this year. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but Kendall Jones, you know, coming in this year, hadn't played much of anything. Right. And, uh, you know, Lee Autry had played. I don't know that he had played just enough that – I mean, obviously he was the best option inside and whatever, and State missed him the day, games that he wasn't on the field. But you're you're going to have here in a couple of years a very, very veteran, you know, defensive front. Yeah. <laughs> and which that was not the case at all in, in – in 2019. So. Yeah, there you go. This bowl game, you know, is it a meaningless game? Yeah. At the yep. end of the day, it really is. But there is meaning within the game. There is meaning for the players and the coach. There there are storylines and there are moments within the game that are going to mean a lot, not only in this game, but into the 2020 Well, it, it's a – to use Brian Haydadisms now. Oh, careful. Uh, this game is all about perception, and yeah. we all know that perception is reality. It is a perception game. Yeah, is what this is, because seven and six in good showings by Schrader and uh, maybe Mitchell. You know, it, it, it receiving one, not just Mitchell, but the receivers. Um, maybe not Gidry, as you said, but mm-hmm. um, good performance maybe by the corners. State wins this game, two or three scores. You go into the offseason at seven and six with a ton of momentum. And back to what we said earlier this month, you lose this game and you look ugly doing it. You're six and seven. And some of the good favor that I think Joe kind of got back a little bit with signing day. I think everybody kind of liked what they saw for the most part on signing day. Yeah. It kind of has the outback bowl effect of last year and you just kind of lose those people again. Yeah. Kind of deal. It is such a program perception deal and yeah meaningless but meaningless in the standpoint of if state loses 
tangibly they lose nothing. The result is sort of meaningless, but the game itself maybe not. Yeah. That makes sense? I guess so. All right. Uh, Monday show, back on the air. We'll talk a little bit about this, that, and the other. We'll have some MSU basketball to talk about. And don't forget, Joe Moorhead, right below where you slipped on this. Just just, just, just scroll down. Scroll down. We're right. He's right Um, there. Brian Haydad, Joel Coleman, Joe Moorhead. When, when Thunder and Lightning and Joe Moorhead get together, all we do is make stormy weather. All right? So check that out uh, down there. Like I said, Monday, we're back. Uh, Wednesday, we have a very special show for you on Christmas Day. It's our Christmas gift to you. Uh, we are going to talk about a decade of maroon and white. We're going to do our all-decade teams for football, men's and women's basketball, and baseball. Just starting lineup. We're not going any further than that. I'm not... We're not going to pull out a whole all forty four or anything like that. Not going to do too deep, or you know, I'll go ahead and just make a just a guess. Dak Prescott's going to be the quarterback. Call me crazy. So <sighs> I like Logan Burnett, but I just we'll see what yeah you know, we'll save it for the show. Okay, but we'll do all that. Uh, that's going to be our Wednesday show. Thursday, no podcast the day after Christmas because come on. But we will have a we will either have a Friday show or a Monday show. We haven't quite figured all that out yet because obviously we're gonna be you know I'm traveling. Joel's got and we got the bowl game. There's a lot going on, folks. A lot of moving parts. And I imagine that most of you out there in listener land can relate. It's it's Christmas and and New Year's time. Things are kind of all scattered. So the next couple of weeks, I'd like to say, and I say it every now and then, you and I are the most consistent podcast in the Mississippi State universe. Yeah. The next couple of weeks might be a little hit or miss. We'll see how it works out. But Mr. Haydad here, the conductor of the Thunder and Lightning Train, has got a plan. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, we're going to be with you, I think. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you guys again very, very soon. Have a great weekend. For Joel T. Coleman, Woo! I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi Media Production.